Chris, welcome as uh, always. We'll get into uh, more familiar territory for you and me, uh, but let's start with the extraordinary situation in Hawaii and the Washington government's response to it. Um, I remember vividly Katrina. I remember George W. Bush. I even remember him saying, uh, great job, Brownie, uh, to the uh, clearly hapless, bumbling uh, head of the agency that was supposed to respond. And I think a week or so later he was gone, Brownie. Uh, but at least Bush flew over the place. Bush seemed to understand the political optics uh, of appearing to care uh, about the people in New Orleans. Joe Biden's been sitting on a deck chair, refusing to comment, whilst Hawaii was in flames. What do you make of that? Two things. One, the country uh, is, of course, being disemboweled by the war machine, uh, so none of the sirens work, none of the warning systems work. Uh, the infrastructure that is supposed to cope with emergencies don't work there. They've been stripped down, uh, both in terms of, uh, in terms of staff and in terms of equipment, whether that's the levees that broke in New Orleans or the toxic spill in Ohio, et cetera. It's kind of endless. Uh, so th- this is just one more symptom of the fact of, of the physical decay that has beset the empire. Empires hollow themselves out from the inside, and that's precisely, it's quite visible as you travel from decayed city to decayed city. So that's the first point. The second point is uh, Biden is barely barely sentient. He's uh, clearly managed, uh, even on the public stage, there have been numerous moments where he's not quite sure where he is or what he is saying, and this is only getting worse. Remember, in the whole, the Democratic National Committee has decreed that there will be no debates in the primary. And I, I suspect Biden will find a way to withdraw from uh, any debates within uh, the, the general election as well, because uh, he, he even even as heavily managed as he is, uh, he's um, uh, his faculties are not there. And I don't say this in any way as ageism. I think Bernie Sanders is older than Biden. Uh, and Bernie is, of course, incredibly sharp and swift, but Biden isn't. Uh, and so they've got a problem. And that problem is how to keep him essentially, uh, as, uh, it, you know, as protected from public scrutiny as possible. So, uh, that, that is kind of fits with this, uh, uh, kind of disconnected presidency, uh, that typifies the, the Biden administration. Well, Mick Jagger is the same age as Joe Biden. In fact, oh, I'd rather go. Mick Jagger was in the uh, White House than than Joe Biden. So it's not about the number uh, 80. It, it is about the clearly visible cognitive uh, decline and performative uh, decline, which begs the question. I mean, I, I could put it in a paraphrase John P. McEnroe. You cannot be serious. They cannot be serious about running him again. Uh, next November, can they? No, I think they are, and their strategy is twofold. One, they will discredit and destroy uh, any primary challenge in the case of Kennedy, 
uh, or in a third party challenge uh, with Cornell West and they want to lock Trump up. Uh, and it's a, the tactic of any kind of banana republic where they're really in essence in their mind will be only one choice. I mean, I think this latest prosecution of Trump, unlike the others, is potentially serious. I think the Democratic Party wants to see it uh, essentially. Of course, they want to tie him up in court within the primary if they can't get him if, through delaying and his lawyers will certainly try to delay. Uh, but I think that's what they're gunning for. They're, they uh, they will push forth this unpalatable candidate and a majority of Americans don't want to see a repeat of Trump uh, versus Biden. Uh, and, and they will crush. They're already beginning a very vicious campaign to discredit both Kennedy and Cornell West. Now, remember, uh, Kennedy, I don't know what he's pulling at now, 19, 20 percent or something within the Democratic primary. West uh, is in single digits, like all third party candidates, all Green Party candidates. But Biden's margin of error is so tiny uh, that they can't afford to let anybody siphon off even one or two percent. So I think that's the tactic. I think they're going to run Biden. Uh, as, as horrible as he is, uh, because of course the empire, those figures around Biden, like Sullivan and Blinken and others, old neocons, Victoria Newland and the State Department, who just got promoted. She used to be Dick Cheney's foreign policy advisor. These people are protean. They slipped from one uh, administration, one Democratic administration, uh, to uh, a Republican administration and back again. Uh, and uh, I think that's their game plan. I, it, it may backfire, but I think that's the game plan. What is this, you think, more serious indictment that Trump is now facing? Is that the Georgia one? Yeah, <clears throat> I think the Georgia one is probably the more serious one, and it, it's tougher for him to disentangle himself from it because it's not a federal prosecution. Remember, he can always pardon himself if he's reelected for federal crimes. Um, you know, how far it will go. Again, I, I don't know, but I think that that is the Democratic strategy is not to provide any kind of credible alternative, both in terms of a candidate, i.e. Biden, or in terms of policies, but to essentially crush and destroy and discredit all potential opposition, both within the party, independents such as Cornell West uh, and uh, and Trump himself. And Trump is clearly going to be the nominee uh, unless, you know, something catastrophic happens. The uh, I watched, as you must have, uh, Kennedy with Tucker Carlson. Uh, once you get past his vocal problems, and if you are prepared to park uh, his aberrant views on the Israel-Palestine track, it was a tour de force, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah, but I'm not willing. I mean, having spent seven years covering that conflict, as you know, I was the Middle East bureau chief for the New York Times. I don't forgive any anyone on the Palestine issue because the Palestinians are friendless. Uh, I'm not f- friendless within the circles of power. They're alone. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he 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 is embracing uh, the most retrograde narrative. Uh, on Palestine, uh, not even a mainstream narrative, but one coming from the far right. Uh, I mean, this is kind of the tragedy of Kennedy, uh, because you're right. He, he does confront, uh, imperial power. He, he has called for freeing Julian Assange. Uh, there are many good aspects to his policy, but I, it's personal, I suppose, for me, and as having spent so long uh, the, the, those seven years in that conflict 
Um, I just won't, uh, you know, if, if somebody won't stand with the Palestinians, then I won't stand with them. And I don't think it's a tangential issue because you know very well, George, that in order to do that requires tremendous political and moral integrity, uh, because there's a huge price to pay. The Israel lobby is, uh, fierce and strong, both within the UK, but especially in the US. Uh, it funds, has massive, uh, resources. It, uh, and so if you actually stand up, I mean, the irony is that Dennis Kucinich, as a member of the House of Representatives, did stand up to the Israel lobby, and he is now the campaign manager for Bobby Kennedy. Uh, but I, I find his, the things that he has uttered, which are just factually untrue, I mean, frankly, racist, uh, towards the Palestinians is so disturbing for me. And I, uh, I wish Dennis or somebody would get to him, uh, to, to at least enlighten him a bit about, uh, that apartheid state and the billions of dollars the U.S. has sent to prop up and the massive war crimes that it has committed in places like Gaza using, using sophisticated weaponry against uh, people that do not have an army, a navy, artillery units, command and control, uh, ar- you know, armored units uh, or anything else. So, and they call it a war. I mean, so, um, yes, Bobby does say some very refreshing things and yet it's twinned with this, uh, blindness uh, on one of the worst crimes, I think, of American imperialism. And that is what has been meted out to the Palestinian people through the Israeli surrogates who we fund and arm. And I have been in Gaza after they have bombed refugee camps and picked up the the metal pieces. And one piece I picked up said made in Dayton, Ohio. I mean, we should be clear about the U.S. complicity in this. Indeed, of course, I feel you on on all of that. Maybe we'll return to that another time because I need to move, as it were, to other American and, for that matter, British imperial crimes. This is the anniversary of the Anglo-American, mainly American, uh, overthrow of uh, Mossadegh, the democratically elected prime minister of Iran, for the crime of seeking to nationalize Iranian oil uh, for his people. Now, uh, I've looked, as you have, uh, at this anniversary, at the uh, more closely at the detail, one of which jumped out and I hadn't thought of before. Uh, the Americans, and the British in particular, were using the uh, religious fundamentalists in Iran to help destabilize Mossadegh's secular and leftist government, uh, rather in the way that we did in Egypt uh, later in that decade and have been doing in different places ever since. It's not something that anyone ever gets taught in school or, I dare say, at university. Uh, The empire is more than happy uh, to encourage uh, Islamist fanaticism as long as it's against a secular ruler of whom they disapprove. Yeah, well, and that's what we did in Afghanistan, and that's what Israel did in Gaza by promoting Hamas in order to destroy Fatah. It's a, it's a very old uh, technique. I mean, one of the things, I don't want to keep carping on Kennedy, but he's going on and on about how despotic these Arab regimes are. Well, these Arab regimes are despotic because they were largely created and are funded 
uh, by the United States, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, and of course what you get is blowback. Uh, you've got blowback in Iran, you've got blowback in Gaza, uh, blowback in, in Afghanistan. And so, uh, yes, you're exactly right that they, they, they create these forces. I mean, there were secular, even left-wing uh, forces in Afghanistan uh, that did not uh, cater to uh, when we were fighting, when we were backing the fight against the Soviets, uh, and, and we, we, we build these forces, and then we condemn these countries, uh, or we condemn despotic dictatorships uh, that, uh, uh, that, uh, that we're, we are totally responsible for forming. So yes, it's, I mean, the whole 53 coup in and uh, Iran is just a travesty from the word go because Mossadegh was a moderate, as you know, political, you know, Democrat who, what he really, he was, came from the aristocracy himself. He was hardly some kind of left wing, uh, you know, communist party didn't like him at all. Uh, he was a, in essence a feudal landlord himself, but he wanted to control or he wanted Iran to control its own resources. I mean, it's just basic. I mean, uh, the, the British, uh, what eventually became BP, but the, what was called the Anglo, uh, I forget the name of the company before it became British Petroleum, but they 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 didn't even know how much oil they were taking out of the country. Uh, so yeah, it was that basic. He wanted to he wanted Iran to control its oil revenues, and that was just too much for the British and the Americans. And of course, after he was overthrown, I think it was either forty or sixty percent of the British production were turned over to to uh, American oil companies and and British oil companies. So it was that. And then, of course, we get the Shah, who is, and and we built the secret police in Iran, Savakta, which was one of the most brutal secret police formations in the world in terms of torture and extrajudicial killings and everything else. And of course, eventually, we saw the rise of Khomeini and the Islamic Revolution. Uh, but that's not a history most Americans know. We're, you're talking about the anniversary 60 years ago. This weak. Uh, it's not even, frankly, uh, I believe the British government has still not even acknowledged that uh, they were responsible for that coup. Uh, the American government had to because Kermit Roosevelt wrote this self-serving memoir about how he'd done it. Um, but uh, that, 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 those kinds of distortions, that kind of massive political interference in a country and the empowering of uh, authoritarian figures like the Shah, uh, is, uh, and we'll go back to the founding of Saudi Arabia. I mean, who created the House of Saud? It was, it was, uh, American oil companies and the U.S. State Department. And there's that book, A Peace to End All Peace, which does a good job of kind of chronicling that. Uh, but that's not a history I think most Americans are taught. They're not aware of. Um, we are completely responsible, completely complicit. Uh, and, uh, and these are crimes, uh, terrible crimes against against Iranians, against all sorts of people, which we're responsible for. And then, of course, we, you know, it's, we, we, blame, we blame, uh, the, the, uh, oppressed, uh, for their own oppression, which is go back to what the Israel lobby does to the Palestinians. It's a history that continues to repeat itself, of course. I've been looking closely, perhaps you have, at the situation in Niger, where uh, the uh, regime has emerged, uh, overthrown the corrupt uh, puppet government, a French puppet in this case, largely, although there's a very substantial $100 million American military base in Niger, which is 
potentially at risk uh, in the in the situation. And lo and behold, uh, a shot in the arm appears to have been delivered to the Islamist rebels, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, in Niger and in neighboring Nigeria. They already control 40% of Burkina Faso. And where did all these uh, Islamist forces come from? They were introduced by us into Libya in order to overthrow a secular uh, Arab regime of whom of which we entirely disapproved. So it's history that repeats itself on and on, isn't it? Well, and that's what happened in Syria. We, we armed the quote-unquote moderate rebels to overthrow Assad. Uh, and, and then when we realized that we just sent, I think we spent $500 million or something, arming uh, all sorts of people that essentially had flooded in from Iraq, uh, then we started bombing them. I mean, we acted, in, in essence, as Assad's de facto air force. It's just one debacle after another uh, with, in Libya is just a terrible crime. Whatever you think of Gaddafi, uh, what came after Gaddafi is just a nightmare for the Libyan people. I, would, I think that's also true in Syria, true in Iraq, and true in Afghanistan. Uh, and it's this, these blundering U.S. policies. They never know where they're going, by the way. They, 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 they carry out these interventions uh, without any clear vision of what it is going to lead to. Uh, and I think that was true 20 years in the Middle East. Uh, and, and look what we left behind. Ruined states, millions of displaced, uh, hundreds of thousands of dead, suffering, uh, and, and then there is this historical amnesia. It's, it's not mentioned. We're not held responsible as we should be responsible. Uh, they left the Taliban. I think it's, there's not a country in the world that recognize, recognizes the Taliban uh, government. It's just, it's, 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 it's horrendous. It's criminal. It, it's an out of control imperial power lurching from one debacle to the next. We didn't even talk about Ukraine. Uh, and, and now they're kind of baiting and provoking China. And I think a lot of it has to do with money. It's, it's, uh, the, the, the war machine, uh, needs to keep fed, keep itself fed. Uh, it doesn't, uh, uh, this is what the expansion of NATO largely was about. Uh, and uh, the consequences are kind of irrelevant. Uh, was, we know from the Afghan papers that Years ago, the, the military and political leadership understood that the Afghan war was unwinnable, like Ellsberg showed us in the Vietnam War. Uh, but why does it keep going year after year after year? Because there are uh, major uh, war industries, uh, Halliburton and, and Northrop Grumman and Raytheon, that are just making piles of money off of this. Uh, and it, it is, it's suicidal. And at the same time, the, by diverting these massive resources into uh, the kind of permanent war economy, the United States, and we'll go back to Hawaii, is collapsing, literally collapsing. I do want to talk uh, about Ukraine, but in, a, in an American context, I am developing in my own mind the thesis uh, that you may have heard me mention earlier, namely that this is a peculiarly democratic party war and that the depth of the corrupt relationship between uh, leading figures in the Democratic Party and who knows, maybe even the party itself uh, with the corrupt oligarchy and 
and the political class in Ukraine may actually be one of these most significant reasons for this war. What are they trying to cover up? What will be revealed uh, when the books are opened? Should the regime in Kiev fall? There does seem to me to be a peculiarly Democrat thing about this Ukraine war. What do you think of that thesis? So I would just, this caveat, so the the, the political configurations in the United States have changed with uh, Trump's seizure, in essence, of the Republican Party. So the establishment wing of the Republican Party has fused with the uh, leadership of the Democratic Party. So all these figures like Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, they're virtually one ruling establishment party versus Trump. Now, remember that uh, the old establishment Republican Party and the Democratic Party had very little daylight on issues of trade policy, wholesale surveillance, or war. Uh, They were in complete agreement. So what you're seeing is that old establishment wing perpetuate the war. What, What opposition to Ukraine actually comes from within, it's not large, but it comes from within this new Republican Party, which is the Trump Party or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so, uh, that, 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 uh, establishment is essentially fed. It, 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 it is, it is a product of, uh, the permanent war economy. Remember, these large corporations fund these candidates. They control the airwaves. Uh, so, uh, the, 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 the quote unquote pundits and experts, most of whom are drawn from the military and the intelligence communities, serve as cheerleaders for war. They often sit on the very boards uh, that are making money off of war. Lloyd Austin, the new Secretary of Defense, came directly from the board of the Rand Corporation. So uh, that that uh, kind of the, 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 the poison of uh, or the control of the permanent war economy of the political process and the media uh, is essentially uh, perpetuating uh, wars, whether it's proxy wars in the Ukraine or whether it was the 20 years of war in, uh, in the Middle East, because that political class is utterly subservient and beholden. And I again want to say the, 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 all of the journal, quote unquote journalists and ex, quote unquote experts and everybody on the airwaves uh, are as well. And that is that we, you know, this is the, 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 the war industry is so large. It's a state within a state, as Karl Leibniz once called the German military in the eve of World War I, the enemy from within. Well, that's what they are. They're the enemy from within. And if you cross them or attempt to cross them, uh, then your political future is, in essence, eradicated. They're impossible to cross. And remember, Biden was calling for an invasion of Iraq five years before we actually went into Iraq. Um, I think you mentioned that this was a long Project, uh, they weren't even talking about weapons of mass destruction then, um, and that's because the war industry. I think it's a mixture of both uh, the the necessity of projecting military power for economic reasons, but also hubris. These are people who uh, are not reality based. I mean, if you remember, the arguments were that we were going to implant democracy in Baghdad and it was going to emanate outwards across the Middle East, and the oil revenues would pay for the reconstruction. Um, this was, uh, you know, to use Thomas More's term, utopia, as it was originally coined, no place. It is not a reality-based viewpoint. 
Um, and these are the people who cycle after cycle. I mentioned earlier people like Victoria Newland or the Kagans or Elliot Abrams. They just leap from, and they're always wrong. I dealt with them in the war in Salvador, Kagan and Elliot Abrams. Oh, and their job in the State Department was to discredit what reporters on the ground were reporting. Uh, they're always wrong, but it, it doesn't matter because they perpetuate the interests of the war machine, just like those journalists, Thomas Friedman, Nick Kristof, George Packer. They're wrong. They're completely, they were completely wrong about Iraq, but it doesn't matter uh, because they served the centers of power and they are rewarded for it. And it doesn't matter how many times they're wrong. So that there's a seizing up both within the economy, within the political system and within the media in the United States that makes it utterly impossible to counter uh, or expose what's happening. 